there is an ancient Chinese game called Go. To give you an idea of how complex it is, I'm going to borrow an analogy by the co-founder and CEO of Google's DeepMind, a well-recognized leader in artificial intelligence research. He once said that there are more possible positions in a game of Go than there are atoms in the entire universe. That's a lot. Because there are so many possibilities, human intuition is needed to be a master player at the game. It's not something that your average computer can easily pick up. But what about artificial intelligence systems? In October 2015, AlphaGo, an artificial intelligence system created by Google's DeepMind, showed the world that it had done more than figure out how to play the game. It had played five matches against Europe's Go champion and won all of them. How did AlphaGo manage it? According to GeekWire, millions of moves from past Go games had been installed into its database. Like any innovator who becomes consumed with a project, it continually practiced playing the game using the moves in its database until it knew which ones were more effective than others. AlphaGo's ability to sift through past human knowledge has real-world implications in many industries, especially healthcare and the medical laboratory. According to an August 2016 article in Wired, researchers at Houston Methodist Research Institute developed an AI that can detect breast cancer 30 times faster than a human with 99% accuracy. How does it do it? By scanning patient information, diagnostic features, and other related mammogram and pathology findings. If artificial intelligence can review large volumes of complex information more quickly and accurately than a human being, medical lab professionals might wonder if they will experience transformations in their everyday tasks in the lab, from preparing and performing tests to releasing results. What does this all mean for the Canadian laboratory? Is AI already in labs across the country? Well, it's not as straightforward as you might think. This topic is much more complicated than I had originally thought. Today, I want to explore the exciting new frontier in healthcare and take a look into a type of innovative technology that has been implemented in Canadian medical laboratories. I'm Kathy Bowers, and this is The Objective Lens. start with the big question. What exactly is AI? Sure, most people know that it stands for artificial intelligence. But what does that actually entail? If you have a vague idea that it's a computer system that can write its own code, then you're not alone. This idea is perpetuated in media and popular culture with TV shows like Battlestar Galactica and the Will Smith movie, iRobot. Because this theory of AI is so common, does that mean it's correct? According to Oracle, AI is making a computer imitate intelligent human behavior. The technique by which this is achieved isn't straightforward, and this is where subsets of AI come in. When you think of self-writing code, you're thinking of a subset of AI. I'm not going to talk about all the different subsets here, as that could take way more time than is allotted for this entire episode. I almost got lost down a digital rabbit hole looking up this topic. And this includes reviewing the recent article, Pattern Recognition, Will Artificial Intelligence Replace Lab Professionals? 
It's an article in the CSMLS journal. In it, one of the experts says that AI in relationship to the medical laboratory is currently in the research stage in America and Canada, and then it's not ready for actual use in labs quite yet. If you want to read more about this, you can access the article on our website if you're a CSMLS member. The one form of AI I want to talk about here is GoFi, or good old-fashioned AI. To keep it as simple as possible, that's when rules are programmed by humans to make a system simulate intelligence, like visual perception. And that definition is by SkyMind, a San Francisco company that offers AI infrastructure. With this definition fresh in mind, I want to turn to a real-life lab transformation to bring cutting-edge technology in a Canadian medical laboratory. Wendy Brown is the Senior Resource Technologist for the Core Laboratory at Victoria Hospital, University Hospital, St. Joseph's Hospital, which is a collection of laboratories under the umbrella of London Health Sciences Centre, or LHSE. She was responsible for bringing cutting-edge digital technology to the core laboratory at the centre. I was seconded to the role of um, leading the RFP process for hematology. I had been a technologist, senior technologist in investigational hematology, so I was uh, taken off the bench uh, to sort of be in the role of leading the hematology team. So right from the get-go, when we were out looking for um, a new vendor or a vendor, um, I was involved in leading that team. So then when the choice was made around the vendor we were going to go with, I led the validation team also, not only the digital microscopy piece, but the, the hematology analyzers themselves. So I designed the actual project. I was also one of the key lead morphologists that did the confirmatory work uh, validating the software. This project went live in April 2018 with the implementation of software called Cellavision. I'll let Wendy explain what that is exactly. It enables uh, digital microscopy and it uh, it's primarily used for pre-classification, pre-characterization of white blood cells and red blood cells and uh, assessment of platelets, numbers, and morphology. The desire to transform the technology in the hematology lab was born from a situation that many labs in Canada might be familiar with. So LHSC uh, has just gone through over the last couple of years a transformation process uh, and we went live with our system in hematology just this past April. And it was very much intentional on our part to look to the future uh, with regard to what was available on the market uh, around blood film assessment. Uh, we find ourselves in a situation where our staffing pool, we've lost a tremendous amount of experience in hematology just through normal retirement attrition. The technologists who are now working in the core laboratory have different expertise from those who have just retired. Today I find that the core laboratory setting isn't so much um, a, an environment where technologists can really sink their teeth into one specific discipline. So uh, oftentimes having responsibility for more than one discipline and knowing all of the rules and, and uh, SOPs associated with those, that we, we, we were venturing into a new era where we didn't have technologists who basically grew up in hematology. According to Wendy, advanced software like Cellavision 
is a real advantage in the lab if you go with the right product. That's why Wendy and the team who are researching advanced technology made the decision to go with Cellavision. So as we um, looked at the instrumentation that was available to us, the tools that were available to us, we intentionally chose to go with uh, a product like Cellavision Digital Microscopy, which offers um, lots of advantages for technologists who are new morphologists and don't necessarily have that that advantage of having years and years of doing nothing but hematology and really grooming their skills uh, within hematology and being a good morphologist. Wendy stresses that using advanced technology to help new technologists does not mean that these technologists are not good at the jobs. It's just a tool that gives them an advantage in the lab. Before we go any further, I want to stress that this episode is not sponsored by Cellavision. It might sound like it is, but that's because Wendy will be noting some real advantages of assessment that is unique to Cellavision. She starts by explaining a common issue that many laboratories experience. Maybe you will relate to what she has to say. One of the things that tends to be a challenge for laboratories today is consistency, and it's inherent in the actual assessment. Looking at a blood film, whether it be microscopy or, or digitally, there's certainly a component of subjectiveness to it. And we had certainly found Again, in part because of a lack of experience uh, and sort of uh, the limitation around competency, and and that's another sort of function of the core lab too, is that uh, when you're responsible for multiple pieces of the laboratory, different disciplines within the laboratory, even the amount of time on the bench is limited. Sound familiar? You'll want to keep listening really was one of the major advantages of using a digital microscopy with with the, the ability to pre-classify, pre-characterize things is a consistency in reporting. So we had found that it's easy to over-report abnormal red cell morphology, for instance, and a tendency to do that is just a human factor that you want to be sure to be as thorough as possible. The software helps us in that you're able to program in thresholds uh, of abnormal morphology related to red cells. So unless it crosses the threshold, it doesn't indicate that it needs to be reported. It's important to remember that advanced software is a tool only. It's an asset. And like any tool, it's not 100% perfect. It has a tendency on occasion to be a little overzealous in what it calls things. It still takes the technologist to have the final say. Cellavision will always be used uh, in conjunction with standard microscopy. Um, we do have microscopes still in our morphology suite. There are still occasions where you need to go to the microscope. Some of the limitations within the Cellavision software itself is that it doesn't have the ability to review the entire slide. So um, platelet clumping and things like that, where you need to really be examining the sides and the tail of a slide, is not possible within the software. Are these limitations solely down to the software, or are there other factors that also play a role? And it's not necessarily the software, per se, but 
you know, the old adage of garbage in, garbage out holds true. You need to be sure that your slide uh, that is being examined is properly uh, made and stained. Because if there are issues with the quality of the smear itself, then you're going to have issues with the categorization uh, that the software tries to do. And that's no different than microscopy. I mean, you need to have a very, very good product to, you know, produce a good result. And uh, I would say that that's one thing we haven't had issues with. Uh, the stain quality and smear quality is very good on the system we have, but it would be something that would be an issue if you had poor staining or smear making. One thing that particularly stood out to me when I was researching advanced technology in healthcare is how much time it can save. How much time do you think a technologist would save if he or she were to use digital microscopy? 15%, maybe 25%, higher? And what we're finding also with the software is that the time with which it takes to do a blood film assessment is about half uh, what it would take by standard microscopy because the system pre-classifies. You're, you're looking at 120 cells, uh, white blood cells, just at a glance, as opposed to sitting at a microscope and manually moving each one of those cells past your, your oculars and enumerating them, uh, you know, kind of with a cell counter or something like that. Wow. Okay. That's what I call efficient. I'm all for saving time where you can. Protecting the human body from work-induced physical aches and pains is another thing I can get behind. We are very intentional when we purchased monitors. We have um, good 24-inch monitors with excellent um, graphic uh, cards in them. And you're positioned more so uh, at a bench level where it's comfortable for seating and you're not um, forcing your head into a position as it would be with microscopy. What you're going to hear next is a testament to how a comfortable work environment can boost employee happiness. It's almost zen-like. And it's one that actually our staff have commented upon how much more pleasant an experience it is to be assigned to the diff bench and to be reporting out uh, slide review based on the new setup. And, and in our actual laboratory, we were intentional as well as creating something called a morphology suite. Uh, I like to refer to it as my zone of tranquility because it literally is in a room set off from the core laboratory. We can see what's going on in the main laboratory, but there is a door that closes. It's a very quiet environment, and uh, we have four workstations set up here. And uh, as I say, it, it, it's, it's one of the most pleasant experiences for the staff uh, to be assigned to this bench now. Wendy is a mentor to the medical laboratory professionals in the lab, which might help explain why she is so impressed with Cellavision. According to Wendy, it's a great educational tool. There's always a permanent record of what was seen, and, uh, and that can be correlated to what actually was reported. So I think that, that permanent record is probably one of the key things that I think is an advantage. It's an excellent educational tool so that in the, in the event that something was misclassified or a technologist did recategorize something inappropriately, you can go back to that, and, and it's a wonderful uh, opportunity for education uh, around uh, quality improvement.
technologists aren't the only professionals who use this tool. It was it's a little um, surprising that not only are our technologists really thrilled with the product, but we have a team of three hematologists that review abnormal blood films and uh, bone marrows, and they use Cellavision to review all of the blood films. They still have the slide if they want to look at it, still available to them, but um, they've embraced it with as much enthusiasm as the technologists, so I think that was really something we had a little bit of anxiety about to begin with. Uh, could we bring some of these uh, folk along into the digital world, and they've just jumped in with both feet. Another great aspect of this product is that it allows for interconnectivity between different locations across London, Ontario. We've seen it working in an excellent fashion, in that we, so we're networked throughout the city. We can see any film that's being scanned and analyzed at a different campus. Um, and so our hematologists are located at the Victoria Hospital, and they can dial into the database for university and look at any blood film that the staff over there have, have marked for path review as well. This interconnectivity might make a technologist or a hematologist's life easier, and that's a great thing. But we shouldn't forget what it does for patient care. And we, we experienced something kind of cool, actually, not too long ago, in that there was a patient that presented to the emergency room at University Hospital that had quite abnormal blood work and uh, required blood film review. When the technologists looked at it through cellivision, they could see that almost 90% of the cells, the white blood cells, were blast. They called over to the Victoria Hospital, spoke directly to the hematologist that was reviewing blood films. They were able to dial in and look at this blood film and uh, agree, yes, those are blasts, and put on an interpretive comment that it looked like acute leukemia. They, in turn, paged the hematologist that was on site at university, and within probably 45 minutes of the patient having arrived within the ER, a hematologist was at the bedside and making plans for diagnosis and admitting of a patient with acute leukemia. As awful as it is that a patient was diagnosed with cancer, it really is amazing that this person was able to receive a diagnosis so quickly. So that was really quite a, a wonderful demonstration on how quickly results can and, and action can happen and treatment of a patient. Because in, in the old world, that slide would have been deemed to be abnormal. It would have been reported by a technologist. It would have been put into uh, uh, the slide itself, would have been put onto a courier system, uh, sent over to the Victoria Hospital. We would have tracked down the hematologist to look at the slide. And by that point, the patient would have waited in the eMERGE department for some time. So it really was actually quite exciting to see how all that could happen so quickly um, by digital microscopy being a key role in all of that. If you've never heard of the London Health Sciences Centre before, you should know that it's one of the biggest acute care teaching hospitals in the country. Not all hospitals in Canada can boast that claim. But does that mean smaller community hospitals would be left out of the loop? 
In the region, we have high hopes that at some point our smaller community hospitals can also go to digital microscopy. One of the things that I do um, and have done for a number of years is worked as a resource to our smaller community hospitals. If they have questions about anything that's abnormal in hematology, I tend to you know, be able to provide guidance to them on how to deal with abnormal samples or they have slides that they're, they're they don't know how to, um, or they're, they're uncomfortable in calling abnormal morphologies, and they would physically, again, send the slide to Victoria Hospital, and that could be days before that turnaround could happen. So if we were networked with digital microscopy, they too could scan blood films into the system, and we could remotely dial in and give guidance uh, on an almost you know, immediate uh, basis. The system is following a complex set of rules, and those rules are all uh, intertwined, but they're only as good as as we set them up. Um, it, the system's not learning for itself or anything like that. Um, there's there's always going to be decision-making and, and uh, interpretation. Um, Cellivision itself is really basically just a microscope on the computer so it doesn't i mean yes it does do some sorting and things like that the software can can get better and better um but i don't see it replacing the the tech at all i just see it becoming um an aid that's jason arnold he was a key player in the lab transformation project at the lhsc i'll let him explain his role i transitioned into the role of uh of middleware um uh, on like a special assignment of duties uh, before we actually uh, implemented any of the new systems. So that was chemistry, hematology, and, and coag sort of all at the same time or back to back to back. Um, so I've not actually been on the bench resulting in uh, WAM uh, since we went live, but I've, I've done a lot of troubleshooting and I've done a lot, done a lot of, uh, you know, cleanup and fine tuning. His experience will hopefully shine some light on the more technical side of advanced software. I wasn't... Um, wasn't involved a whole lot with the television piece. It was more uh, WAM, which is the uh, Sysmic's middleware. Um, so television talks to WAM, and so do all the instruments, and then it, it hands off to the uh, LIS system. If you're not fluent in computer software speak, like me, middleware might be an unfamiliar term, but it's not one to gloss over. Middleware uh, is software that sits between uh, the lab system and the actual instrumentation itself. Um, depending on what you use it for, it can just be used to sort of um, establish communication between the two. Um, but what we're using WAM for is uh, we have a, a whole uh, host of rules in there that help to um, the, they help guide uh, the tech and the resulting. Um, so you can have rules that are result based that will. Um, you know, either help to release or to uh, to hold back results, uh, make smears, um, and uh, criteria like that. We've got 200, and I think we're in the 230s for the rules, uh, for our rule set. I like how Jason used the phrase, help guide the tech. To understand how middleware can help guide technologists, it does help to take a look at the need to make sure everything is set up just right. And doing that isn't necessarily quick and easy. 
at the beginning, it was a bit rockier, um, and we had uh, had to sort of do a lot of uh, tweaking and fine tuning. But um, overall, now typically, if the system's telling you you need to look at something, you know, without without uh, an exception, um, you know, by looking into the patient's history, like transfusion history and things like that. Um, you know, so there is there is still some tech intervention, but a lot of times it's able to to sift through a lot of uh, a lot of information and in previous patient history to tell you that something was a pre-existing condition or not. So I, it, it can cut down on on that time at least at least what it has internal in its database. This database that Jason is talking about is a central component of the system. Without it, things would not go smoothly, and it's this database that caused some. Well, as Jason will mention, growing pains. It was something that was run before we went live. Um, then it sees it as a brand new patient. Um, and we had that, that was a lot of the growing pains right at the beginning was building up that database, running everything through and establishing, uh, you know, a timeline for the patients within the actual seismic system. How much time did it take to grow through these pains? Days? Weeks? It might not be as quick as you think especially when unexpected things sneak through. There's probably a few months where, where, where people, for people to get comfortable and then also to sort of squash some of the, uh, some of the bigger uh, bugs that were in the system. Rules that just had, uh, you know, little gaps here and there that uh, odd, odd scenarios and circumstances could kind of find their way through and find, uh, find like loopholes in the rules. Many researchers have noted that breaking a habit or learning a new skill takes some time. It's only natural to notice differences between the old and the new way of getting the job done. I think the longer you've been doing it, like, uh, you know, the, some of the techs that have been around uh, doing, like, uh, our old system for uh, forever, myself included, um, it, it's a bit, it's a very different experience resulting in the middleware, um, but... I, I think from what I'm seeing, the uh, new hires, if, you're, if you don't really have that prior experience coming in, um, then there's not really a change from something else. Uh, it it seems, seems to go a lot smoother. You've just been listening to medical laboratory professionals who have implemented advanced technology in their own lab. Now I want to change gears so you can hear about artificial intelligence from a person who is well-versed in this topic. His name is Dr. Abbas Al-Zubaidi. He's a postdoctorate fellow at the University of Saskatchewan in the Division of Biomedical Engineering, and he is also working on research at the University of Alberta in Edmonton. Does Dr. Al-Zubaidi believe that artificial intelligence will one day replace medical laboratory professionals? Yes, it can be replaced in a human for the repetitive task. But on the other hand, I said no. It will help the human to get the job in full performance. That means high degree of precision and accuracy, which is what we need. Yeah, We need accurate uh, tasks to be done and performed in hospitals without any error we need to reduce the cost of our of our repetitive tasks and jobs. We need to get uh, the high level of the quality of service that provided to the patient, which is also human. So patients or if other customers or even any field that we are dealing with a human 
as the core value. So that's why it is yes, in somehow for the long term, it is yes, but no for the short term. If you're still worried about losing your job to a computer, Abbas recommends looking to the past, specifically on how certain revolutions affected rates of employment. You'll see two things. First, it's normal to feel fear. Second, that fear is not always warranted. Um, even if we have the industrial uh, revolutions of the past, such as, for example, shift from the agricultural work to the factory work in the 19th century, that's, uh, that's also uh, fostered some fears, yeah? Um, number of jobs have stayed consistent throughout. So uh, even it is not replacing most of the jobs, but even it create a new jobs. So AI, I thought that the AI will create also a new jobs, especially in the medical field. Now that's reassuring, isn't it? AI will change the workplace, but that doesn't mean there won't be any jobs. Abbas also explained that many people think only rich and powerful corporations can afford to implement this technology. You need to have lots of resources, wouldn't you? AI technology can be also implemented uh, with the very few resources. For example, um, when I work uh, with my project for the, for the analysis of the pathological slides, it uh, just cost me very uh, an open source uh, software and even uh, database from the which is freely available on internet to implement my algorithm and I develop it and actually uh, have a very successful rate of uh, of detections and analysis. So I do it by very limited resources. So it is not a matter of the uh, big companies and investment that uh, that created the AI uh, for the benefits of them, but anybody can. Uh, with uh, very limited resources uh, can implement a very simple AI task. If you're wondering how autonomous AI can be used in the lab, Abbas has a great example for you. It comes from his current research. We are now um, uh, working on developing a fully autonomous AI system for the classification and uh, diagnosis of the pathological slides for different cancer types. How long does it take you to analyze one or two pathological slides? Keep that number in your mind as you listen to what Abbas has to say next. We can now achieve with our algorithm to analyze uh, 6,000 pathological slides or pathological images of the slides in 10 minutes um, uh, compared to uh, the real pathologist who can analyze the slides within one slide or two slides in, uh, in the time of, let's say, 15 minutes or 20 minutes. 6,000 images in 10 minutes? That's amazing. Does advanced technology sound like something your lab could get behind? I want to share Wendy's advice with you next. She explains the attitude they took towards the process and shared why she thinks it was so successful for the LHSE. Just be bold. I think where the resistance might come, 
uh, for folks who are entertaining going this route is how do we possibly validate it? And I think we were successful in that we looked to international standards on, you know, threshold setting. And we just took a leap of faith and um, came up with a validation strategy that was not onerous, that made sense, uh, focusing on clinical relevance uh, as a key uh, sort of um, standard uh, to go with. Just be bold. I love those words. This is a new frontier for Canadian medical laboratories. We're traveling new ground, and it's exciting. But as great as all this sounds, she also admits that some labs might have some concerns that should be considered before taking that leap of faith. Obviously, for maybe some smaller community centers, it may be an issue of of cost and making sure that the, the workload is there to be able to justify the cost. Because if you're only looking at 20 blood films a day, um, it probably isn't something that uh, makes a lot of sense. Wendy brings up a good point here. Although there are great advantages to innovative technology in the lab, it helps to approach it practically and with your organization's needs in mind. If you think your laboratory has the means to journey into the new frontier of digital healthcare, I think you should listen to what Wendy has to say here. Maybe it will help start a conversation with your own team. I think you know that there's so many advantages to it if if you have it within your means to use it. Uh, I, I can't see why anyone wouldn't, to be quite honest. Maybe it's just me, but that's a lot of information to wrap my head around. The new frontier of healthcare is a pretty complex landscape and with many moving parts that need to be considered. Even learning the definitions of AI and its subsets can be a journey. This inside look into how advanced technology can work in Canadian laboratories was eye-opening for me on many levels. With the help of technology, laboratories across an entire city can become interconnected in ways previously unimaginable, making healthcare collaborative and incredibly efficient, streamlined. While those words are all great, I don't want us to lose sight of what this all means, making it simpler for medical laboratory professionals to improve overall patient care. Wendy's true story about the patient being diagnosed with acute leukemia is one such example of improved patient care. The purpose of this technology is not to create an AI that can beat humans at an ancient board game. It's about developing the technology to save lives. Although there can always be improvements, like anything in life, I am glad to see we're on our way there. And what a journey it is. The Objective Lens is the official podcast of the Canadian Society for Medical Laboratory Science and is produced by Michael Grant and myself, Kathy Bowers. Writing by Michael Grant, Kate Hendricks, Natalia Harhai, and Kathy Bowers. Administrative support by Redmilla Minor. Technical support by Kartik Desai. If you like this or any of our other episodes, please rate them and like our podcast. We appreciate your support. Also, click on the subscribe button so you'll automatically be notified of our new releases. If you're a medical laboratory professional, you can take a short quiz after each episode. 
Upon completion, you'll receive a certificate that verifies professional development hours. Access the quizzes at podcast.csmls.org. While on the website, you'll find other great materials for each episode, like links to relevant articles. Have something to say? Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter or Facebook using the handle at CSMLS. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.